Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5, and uh, let's read from verse 38. Have you got it? Awesome. One person's with me. You have heard, this is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus' first, if you like, sermon. This is his Sermon on the Mount, this is his moment. He's gone through uh, the temptation in the, in the wilderness. He's gone through those trials and he's come through those. And, and now his crowd has gathered around him. Now he's ready to preach. And uh, he's been sharing a little bit up to this point. I'm going to pick it up in 5 and verse 38. He says to them, you have heard. That it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. No one's going to say amen to that, are we? (laughs) Verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Verse 41, this is the one I want to focus on, but they all are relevant for us. And whoever compels you, another word for that is forces you. Whoever forces or compels you to go with him one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks from you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. This is, uh, this is, this was such a, Shocking moment for the Jewish people. Because you've got to understand that Jesus is dropping this sermon on people that are slaves. This is Jewish people who are under oppression by the Roman Empire. Not only that, but these Jewish people had a sense of expectation that Jesus was about to set them free. And Jesus gets up and he drops this on them. You have to understand that when Jesus says to them, and I want to give you a little bit of background to what he was actually talking about. When he said, whoever forces you to go with you one mile, don't just go one mile, go with him too. There was actually a practice in those days called the practice of impressment. What this meant was, it meant that a Roman soldier at any time could actually go up to a Jewish person. They could even, as they were walking along the road, carrying whatever burden or whatever luggage or things that they were actually carrying, they could knock on the door of a Jewish person's house and there was actually a law that they could command that Jewish person to carry this Roman soldier's equipment and his gear and his luggage for one mile. You could have a Roman soldier walking down the street and he just decides, you know what, I'm tired. I don't want to do this for the next mile. And he can knock on the door of a Jewish person's house and say, whatever you're doing, drop what you're doing and carry my stuff for the next mile. But the law actually was the Roman officers said you could only do it for one mile. Could you imagine that? Imagine you're just chilling at home watching TV. 
Some dude comes knocking on your door and says, hey, take my suitcase one mile. He'd be like, Pfft. So what the Jewish people would do is they would measure out one mile from their house and put a stake in the ground to mark that one mile. They knew if a Roman officer was going to try and make them go any further than one mile, they had already gone and measured it out. They knew the point at which they could say, you know what, I'm done. This is all I have to do. You can now carry your own bags. This was this law, this rule that was laid out that the Jewish people had to submit to. They hated it. It was, it was humiliating. There wasn't a discussion about it. There was no choice in the matter. It didn't matter what you were doing. It didn't matter how busy you were. It didn't matter how rude the officer was. When they asked you to do this, this was what you had to do. In fact, this was why Simon of Cyrene, when Jesus is carrying the cross, remember Simon, the Roman officer said, I want you to carry the cross and put the cross on Simon. It was under this practice or this law that he was able to command Simon to do that. So you have these Jewish people that are slaves to the Roman Empire, slaves to the Roman soldiers that are being taken advantage of, the Roman soldiers who are would belittle the Jewish people. They would overpower them. They would degrade them. This was this law that commanded. It was a reminder to the Jewish people that you are slaves to us. We are over you. So I want you to understand this perspective. When they see Jesus coming and they see Jesus step up, there's an expectation. This guy is the Messiah. Or the question at this point, there was talk, could this, rather, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the man that's going to set us free from this oppression that we're under? So I want you to imagine the expectation at this sermon that Jesus is about to preach. Maybe this is the sermon that's going to set them free from this oppression. And Jesus gets up and he says, you know what? You know this practice where you got to go one mile? They're all on the edge of their seat saying, yeah, 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 you're about to cancel it. Jesus says, you know what? Don't worry about just one mile. Add an extra mile to that. Come on, how many know that there were no amens on the mountain that day? This is actually an incredible moment. But I want to show you is the principle of the second mile. I want to show you something that how powerful this is for our life. When Jesus said this, He was speaking to them and calling them to a higher level. He was speaking over their life and saying, you know what? I'm not calling you to a standard that everyone else is at. I'm calling you to a higher level, a greater standard. It's the standard of the second mile. He said, I'm calling out of you a level of living and a standard of living that is over and above what everyone else has been doing. Because see, it was possible. You could actually walk mile one with a bad attitude. You could walk it out. You could do mile one. You could be dragging this, this mangy Roman soldier's gear saying this stupid, lazy, good for nothing. 
In fact, they say that the, the, the theologians actually say that that would be the type of thing that would go on. The Jewish people, when they were carrying, because they were so they were so oppressed, it was such a degrading thing to do. They would do it with such a bad attitude. But when Jesus said this to them, He was calling them to another standard, another level of living, another level of operating. And it's the level of the second mile. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 31. He says, And yet I show you that you are called to a more excellent way. The first smile says, I have to forgive you. The second mile says, I'm now choosing not just to forgive you, but to love you. The first mile says, I have to give. The second mile says, I get to bless. The first mile repays good only when you get good. But the second mile repays good if you give me evil. The first mile kills my pride. The second mile, rather, the second mile is where pride is killed and humility is born. I think of the story of David, David and Saul in 1 Samuel and verse 24. It gives the story of David and Saul where David was constantly under ridicule by Saul. So much so that Saul set out to kill David. Saul didn't like David. He was jealous of David. He was jealous of what was on David's life. But look at David's response. He, David could have said to God, God, listen, Saul's been out to kill me. He's throwing hate my way. He's hurting on me. He's trashing me out on social media. He's tagging me in tweets. He's, he's just bagging me out, pulling me down. I'm sick of just having a good attitude toward him. I'm sick of just trying to be nice to him. I want to live. Enough is enough. Surely he's hated on me enough. This is as far as you want me to go. But then God spoke to David and says, no, no, no. I don't just want you not to hate on him. I actually want you to honour and lift him up. It's the second mile. It's another standard that God is calling us to. The first smile, the first smile when I was a kid, my mum used to say things to me when we'd be, when we'd be mess, you know, bagging out people. I never did it. My siblings did though. My mum would say things like this. She would say, she would say, if you don't have something nice to say about somebody, you heard this before? Don't say anything at all. That's a first smile attitude. I want to give you a second smile. If you can't say something nice, look harder until you can. See, the first smile will say, you know what, I can't find anything. But the second smile says, I'm going to look, I'm going to find something about this person that I want to knock them flat on their back. But I'm going to find something small, minute about them. And I'm going to lift that up because God has called me to a second mile standard of living. It's, it's the principle... It's the principle of the second mile. It's a place where God will call you to living that won't necessarily make sense to everybody else around you. I want you to imagine, let's say a Jewish boy that's been called by a Roman officer to carry his gear for that first mile. Maybe his buddies have been watching him take that journey of the first mile. They know how far it is from the Jewish boy's home to the stake that marks out the first mile. 
And they know that once he gets, they expect that once he gets to that first mile mark, he's going to be able to leave that Roman officer and he's going to be able to come hang out with us now. But I want you to picture this little Jewish boy and he's carrying this Roman officer's equipment and and luggage and, and, and gear and he gets to the first mile mark. But instead of putting it down and going off with his buddies, this Jewish boy keeps walking. I want you to imagine his buddies running up to him saying, bro, what are you doing? It's a standard that perhaps doesn't make sense to everybody else around you because it's a shift where you are no longer doing what you've just been told to do. Now you've shifted and now you're doing what you're called to do. It's a shift. It's another standard, another level of living. And I want to tell you, not everyone around you will understand the second mile. Not everybody that you're hanging out with will get what it is that you're talking about. But I want to tell you that God has called each of us to a second mile. I want you to picture his Jewish friends saying, why do you keep being kind? Why do you keep loving on that person that keeps sending hate your way? Think about social media is so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to send hate somebody's way. Often we'll type something that we're not prepared to say in person. It can be so easy for us to lash out. Do you ever get these things on social media? Sometimes I'll get something every now and then. Someone someone will, will send me something. And something just stirs. It's not so much. If someone attacks me, it doesn't bother me so much. But it's more if someone goes for, you know, attacks our church or attacks my family. There's just something inside of me. I mean, I swear swear it's not of the Lord and He's doing a work in me. But something rises up. Do you notice how fast you can text on your phone when you're mad? You notice that? You read a comment, you go, oh, I'm smashing out paragraphs, paragraphs in about 10 seconds. Perfect punctuation. This thing's ready to roll. But just before you send, send, Holy Spirit will come and say, hey, hey, hey. And then what we do is we justify. We justify the comment. No, no, no. Listen, it's just, listen, it's just a debate. It's just a mature debate we're just talking about. Listen, I want to encourage you. It's time to step from first mile to second mile. It's start to say, you know what? Love you, man. Praying for you. Believing the best for you. I'm sure. Listen, do you want me to tell you a way that you can, you can shut yourself off from being offended? It's very easy. Always believe the best about the other person. Great way. If somebody does the worst thing, first response in your mind, say this to yourself. Say, I'm sure they didn't mean to do that. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they're not out to hurt me. It looks that way. It certainly seems like that in this message. The way they're talking about me, it looks like they're really hating on me, but I'm sure that's not what's in their heart. You will protect yourself. You will guard yourself. If you want to live in second mile, you've got to guard that second mile to keep yourself in there because the enemy will want to pull you back, pull you into this trash talk, pull you into this talking negative, talking bad, lashing out at people. Is is second mile living. You've got to be careful. You've got to guard who you have in in your world during the second mile. 
It's in the second mile that God, God will start to pour out upon your life in a greater way in the second mile. It's in the second mile that you position yourself in this series that we've been looking at in, the, in the, our morning services, talking about right people, right place and right plan. You'll get to a, the right place that God has for your life when you start operating in the second mile. Remember the story of Ruth and Naomi. Pastor touched on it this morning, but the story of Ruth and Naomi in Ruth 1 and verse 8, it says, And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Well, let me tell you real quickly if you don't know the story. What you have is Naomi had two, two sons and, and, and one of Naomi's sons was married to Ruth and, 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 and Ruth had made a decision when those, both of those sons had passed away and the other daughter decided that she was done, she was going to leave. But Ruth made this decision and this is what she said in this verse that I just read, Naomi essentially saying to Ruth, you don't have to go any further, your first mile is over. You've gone as far as you need to go. You don't have to keep coming with me. You don't have to keep walking with me. But look at Ruth's response. But Ruth said, Entreat me to not leave you or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people and your God, my God. This essentially was Ruth saying, I know I can stay here, but God's called me to a second mile, another level and I'm going to stay with you and watch what God did. Ruth found her Boaz not in the first mile, but in the second mile. If you pursue God into the second mile, there's blessing in the second mile. Remember the story of Elijah and Elisha. The Bible says that Elijah in 2 Kings in chapter 2, Elijah came down off the mountain directed by God after having a God encounter and he sees Elisha plowing the field. And he goes up to Elisha and throws a cloak on him and Elisha runs after him. And when it came further on in the story, when it came into 2 Kings, when Elijah is about to go up into heaven, he says to Elisha, you can look at the story later on. He says to Elisha, stay here. I appreciate your servanthood toward me. I appreciate you being with me. I appreciate you walking with me. But you stay here. I'm going to go on further. And you read the story. Elisha said to Elijah, I'm not leaving you. I'm going to stay with you. In fact, he said it to him three times. Three opportunities. Elijah gave Elisha to stay where he was. But Elisha kept saying, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to stay with you. And it was in the second mile that Elisha got the double portion. I want to tell you, church, that God is calling each and every one of us to not stop at mile number two, that there's a greater level of blessing that He wants to pour out in your life and He's going to do it in the second mile. It's making that decision to say, I'm not staying here. Elijah and the widow at Zarephath, the Bible says that when Elijah came down and when he came in 1 Kings 17 and verse 10, when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Look at this. And it says, and as she was going, this was Customary. 
It was customary that when a prophet of God was there, that the woman would actually go and get the water for him and supply the water for him. That was a part of the custom. That was a part of the law at that time. But look at what happens. The Bible says that Elijah said to her, as she was going, as she starts to make her journey in the first mile, to do what the custom is, Elijah calls out to her and he says, hey, you know what? While you're going to get the water, can you get me some food as well? There was a call, there was an opportunity sent out over upon her life as if Elijah was saying, you know what, I know you're walking mile number one right now, but if you want, I'm going to give you a choice right now to step from mile one into mile two. And the Bible said when she said that when he instructed her and said, go and get me some food and she went and got food, that's where God blessed her. And it said the oil kept flowing and the food kept coming. Why? Because she made that decision. I'm not just staying in mile one. I'm stepping from mile one into mile two. And God opened up the windows of heaven over her life. It's the second mile. God is looking for some second mile Christians. God is looking for some Christians that are not just looking to do the bare minimum. Too many Christians I've met, we're looking through the Word, trying to find everything that we have to just do the bare minimum. Everything we need to do, this is all I have to do in order to call myself a Christian. This is everything that I needed, need to do in order to, 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 to look the part of being a Christian. God is calling you to the second mile. God is calling you beyond the law into grace, into the Spirit, into not just living by the law, but being now empowered by the Spirit of God. It's the second mile. It's knowing what it is to live in the second mile. The Bible says that when we step into that second mile, when we make that decision to step out of mile one into mile two, see, you have to understand when it comes to the second mile, the first mile had to happen first in order for the second mile to open up. We talk about, this law, and, and, and I talked about the, the, the practice of this law in that day. That this was something that they had to do. This was, this was the bare essentials that they had to do. This was the difficult, this was the grind. This was what they had to do, but they didn't want to do. But I want to tell you the first mile had to happen in order for the second mile to open up. I've met a lot of Christians that want to run the pews in church, run down the front, shout and scream, want to get filled with the Spirit, but they can't live by the Word. A lot of Christians that want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit want to feel the goosebumps, but they can't seem to just walk out mile number one. That when we talk about mile number two, a greater outpouring of the touch of God, a greater outpouring of the presence of God, greater revival overflowing in our life. We get excited, but a lot of people, we want to bypass mile number one and just step into mile number two. 
people that don't want to just live purely based on the Word of God, the basic things. People that get in church and we're quick to shout and scream, but we're slow to just love our neighbour. People that come to church and and we want to do all of the added extras and and we want to, you know, some young people that want to save their school, but they can't seem to honour their parents. We have people that are coming into our buildings and packing out and getting excited, but they don't want to make a decision to stop shacking up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's, It's mile number one stuff that sets you up for mile number two. I know it's basic, I know, but there's too many Christians that I meet and they come up and say, Pastor, how do I get filled with the Spirit? Here's a good, stop shacking up and stop hooking up with each other. That's a great step to set you up for getting filled with the Spirit. I love how Cece Wynum put it like this. She said, we talk a lot in church about the Greek and the Hebrew. How about first we just start with just living the English? Why don't we make a decision say, you know what? You don't have to look into the Greek and Hebrew when the Bible says don't fornicate. Get, I'll tell you the interpretation for that right now. Write it down, change your life. Don't fornicate. It means don't shack up. It means if you're sleeping together outside of marriage, it's wrong. It's abomination to God and you'll bring a curse on your relationship and God will not bless it. I know I'm breaking hearts tonight, but it's the Word of God. It's mile number one. If you want to step into mile two, just try living mile number one first. It's the grind. It's the stuff that, you know what? It's, 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 not, it's killing your flesh. It's not fun always. It's not good. It doesn't feel good always. It's like, you know what? This is hard. This is great. Why can't we just get down the front at church and pray and say, Pastor, touch me. I want to fall out in the Spirit. Just try living right first, bro. Just try getting, getting with God and reading Your Word and saying, Lord, would You help me to just walk out mile number one? Mile number one has sets us up for mile number two. You ever go see a movie, ask people, before you go to the movie, you ask people. I've asked people before, How's it, what's this movie? Before I go to the movie, I've said to people before, what's this movie like? Sometimes people will say, the first half is really bad, but hang in there. Because the second half, it all comes together. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's really bad. I, I hate that, especially for people like me. I've got a little bit of like ADD. I don't like sitting through a whole movie as it is. My ideal way to watch a movie, it drives my wife insane. My ideal way to watch a movie is like this. With my laptop open, iPad in my hand, phone by my side and TV on. That's me. I like having it all happening at once. So if I've got to sit through the first half, of, you ever had those where they say, just hang in there. After about the first hour, it all comes good. The problem is that I want to leave during that first half and come back. But the problem is if I check out in the first half, the second half is not going to make sense. 
See, this is how we want to live. We want to just operate in the second mile blessing, but we don't want to live the first mile sacrifice. But I want to tell you, if you can endure the first mile, line upon line, precept upon precept, just living right, getting in the Word, praying one step in front of the other, you'll set yourself up for second mile blessing in your life. But you need the first mile for the second mile to make sense. It's, it's second mile living. It's in the second mile that God really tests and sees what our heart is. It's in the second mile. First mile, He deals with a lot of our junk and deals with our obedience. But then it's in the second mile. I like to call it the miracle mile. It's in that miracle mile where it's a, it's a faith journey. It's a miracle mile. It's the second mile that, you know what? It doesn't make sense. Why would you go that extra? Why would you love that person when they don't deserve it? Why would you believe for those things? Why would you give over and above? Why would you go to church every single week and also midweek? Why would you reach out like that? Why would you continue to believe? Why would you continue to declare? It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make sense. I was reading about a, a stretch of, of land up in LA. I want to read you this story that I read in 1921. Stretch of property from Wilshire Boulevard, known as the Miracle Mile, was a 20-foot wide dirt road flanked by oil wells and barley fields. This is in the 1920s. Today, the Strip is a busy thoroughfare, home to museums, the La Brea, La Brea tar pits, and a collection of historic art deco structures, shops, restaurants, and cafes. It's known as the Miracle Mile. The Miracle Mile was the brainchild of real estate developer A.W. Ross, who in 1921, listen to this, paid $54,000 for 18 acres of land. Come on, how many wish you could go back and drop that? 18 acres of land along the south side of Wilshire Boulevard between La Brea and Fairfax Avenues. Ross envisioned a retail district there, subdividing the land and offering it to suitors for as little as $100 a shop front. But the track's commercial potential appeared bleak to many. Retail was then concentrated in the downtown business district and with no electric railway, railway along Wilshire, the remote location was inaccessible to many Southern Californians. Ross detractors dismissed the tract surrounded by grain fields and a primitive airport and an active oil field where asphalt seeped up from the ground. Ross pressed forward with his plan anyway. I went to men of wealth, he told the Los Angeles Times in 1939. They turned me down. I was a visionary. Even friends who had the means to help me laughed and wished me luck. But the developers foresaw how the rise of the personal automobile 
would change settlement patterns and upset the balance of power between downtown and what were then the city's, the city's hinterlands. When I started out to plan the Miracle Mile, I saw Beverly Hills gaining ground in the west, Hollywood progressing to the north, businesses forging near from the east and fine residences going up in the south, he told the Times. It was not until 1928 that the Miracle Mile acquired its glamorous glamorous appeal. Ross originally gave his development a much less memorable name called the Wilshire Boulevard Centre. According to a story, Ross was describing his vision for the development when a friend interjected, from the way you talk, A.W., one would think this is really, this really is a miracle mile. The name with it obviously promotional, uh, with the name with its obvious promotional value stuck. It's a story of someone that saw a miracle mile, that saw something that nobody else could see. See, when you're walking the second mile, it won't necessarily make sense to everybody else around you. But I want to tell you that it's in the second mile. That's where the real faith walk is. The first mile is just obeying instructions. The second mile is living called by God. That's where you're taking every single step. And it almost seems like every step you take does not make sense. But if God has dropped something in your spirit, you can keep walking the second mile knowing that it's going to open up in front of you because it's a faith walk. It's in the second mile where the touch of God will come upon you. It's in the second mile. It's where you stop taking steps that make sense and start taking steps that make faith. It's where steps guided by sight end and steps guided by faith begin. Is where my rights end and His purpose begins. My rights and His purpose can never coexist. It's the second mile. When Peter stepped out of the boat, what was he doing? He was stepping into the second mile. There's a term known in long distance running. It's called the second wind. It's a phenomenon in distance running whereby an athlete who is too out of breath and tired to continue suddenly finds the strength to press on at top performance with less exertion. I want to tell you when God appoints, God anoints. And when God is calling you to the second mile, If God has called you to the second mile and you step out and dare to believe, I want to tell you, God will anoint you because God has appointed you. And as I was praying and preparing this, I felt like God told me to tell you that some of you, you're about to get your second wind. That as you perhaps have grown weary, perhaps in well-doing, 
during just doing the grind, doing what you have to do, just praying and believing and it's been hurting and it's been difficult and it's been hard. I felt the Spirit of God stir me and tell me to tell you that you need to get some faith inside of you because you're about to reach your second win. It's time for the second mile to take over. God's about to come and touch you just like He got on Elijah and the Bible said, Elijah, when the Spirit of God came upon him, he outran those horses. You're about to get your second wind of the Spirit. Remember the book of Acts says that they were all gathered in one accord. And they were in that room, in the upper room, gathered in one accord. Not knowing, listen, what were that? What, what, what put them there? Just simple obedience. First mile put them there. First mile, just what are we doing? God told us to come here. God told me to get in this church. God told me to read my Word. God told me to pray. God told me to fast. God told me to give. It doesn't, it's hard. Let's be real. Sometimes just doing the first mile is hard. It's not necessarily easy. What put the disciples in the upper room? First mile, put them there. And there they are standing there. The Bible says that the crowd, the group of disciples got split. Half of them couldn't even handle living the first mile. They got split and then they're standing there not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing what they're believing for, not knowing where God's going to come through. But then all of a sudden the Bible says they heard a sound as if a rushing wind. Look out, here comes the second wind. And as they're gathered because of the first mile, put them in the right place. Then here comes the Holy Spirit to get upon their first mile and get the touch of God upon them. And there came the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that birthed the church. I want to tell you, don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't bail out during the first mile because your second wind is about to come. God's about to touch you like never before. Keep walking out mile number one. Mile two is about to happen. There's a special touch that comes in mile two. In 2 Kings 13, and I'm going to close. 2 Kings 13 talks about the story of King Joash and prophet Elisha. You might have heard the story before. But it says that they're about to face a, a great battle. And the Bible says, 2 Kings 13 verse 15, Elisha said to him, take the bow and some arrows. So he took himself, for himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Look at what he did. He told him, the prophet Elisha said to the king, put your hands on the bow. You do the first mile. You follow what I've told you to follow. You walk out mile number one. And then the prophet came and the Bible says that the prophet put his hands on the king's hands. He's saying, if you walk out mile number two, I'll get on you because of your obedience. Walk in mile number two and you continue to be obedient. I'll get on you in mile number one and you continue to be obedient. I'll get on you in mile number two and I'll put a touch of God upon it. You make that decision that you're going to continue 
to be obedient to the call of God. Don't check out in mile number one. Don't check out when it gets difficult. You're praying and you're believing. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Your second wind is about to come. Right across this room. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.